0: Good morning, Valley Bible Church. Good to see you all in fresh from HoopFest. Apparently you're not there. Anyway, it's good to have you all this morning. Um, Yeah, we do have heavy hearts this morning considering uh, Christy Burns' home going. What an unexpected uh, tragedy that is. But our God is greater and precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. And so we will pray for them. In fact, um, let's begin, I know you just sat down, before we stand up again with the reading of scripture, let us pray for God's word, for our world, for Evan and his sons, let's just turn to God, shall we? We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks. For your name is near. We as men and women declare your wondrous works. You are the God when you speak the earth and all who dwell in it will melt. But you have firmly established the heavens and the earth for your purposes. And is there anyone in heaven but you? That we have besides you, we desire nothing on earth. Our flesh and our hearts may fail, but God, you are the strength of our hearts and our portion forever. Yes, those who are far from you will perish and you have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for us, the nearness of God is our good. And we have made you, O Lord God, our refuge that we may tell of your works. We thank you for these eternal truths from your word that we hang on to, for there are times when we look about us and we don't know what to say or think or do, but you put it in perspective for us. Our world is ever-changing, and the death of a loved one close is something to which we are not immune nor are we we immune to uh, the passings of kingdoms and civilizations going under and changing. But you, O Lord, stand forever, and you are our rock, and therefore we trust and ever hope in you. We do pray for uh, Evan and his sons this morning, waking up probably from a fitful sleep uh, to the horror that it is all true. And we pray that you would be present to them in the way that only you can. You are a loving and good God. We know that. Nothing changes that. And so we pray for um, our Lord Jesus Christ to strengthen their faith, as I know you have already, and bring healing that only you can bring. We leave them in your hands, for there isn't anything else we can do. Now as we turn to your word and we turn to this topic of how we live in our bodies in this world um, that is defiled and profaned, we pray that we might find um, the path to holiness through Christ our Lord to live for you as shining lights. So we ask these things in the name of Christ, our great God and our King and our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Okay, we are continuing in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, last week we read uh, verses 12 through 20, which is kind of what we're in right now. And we will not finish these verses until next week, but I want to read all of them together once again. Um, Jesus said, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Um, The word of God is the truth that sanctifies us because he's given us the spirit of truth and he is the God of truth and he's given us the son of truth who is the way and the truth and the life and we have the word of truth as well so first corinthians chapter six we're reading verses 12 through 20 i invite you to turn there in your scriptures and to honor this word in god would you please stand as we read it the word of god from the apostle paul First Corinthians chapter six, we're reading verses 12 through 20, the word of God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Now, God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. We're talking about body matters, the body matters body matters to God. We're also talking about matters of the body. So, yes, double entendre. Body matters. Matters of the body. Your body matters to God because your body is redeemed. We are not spirit and body and our spirits in this um, ethereal, ethereal way go in wispy clouds to heaven when we die. No, we will be raised from the dead as Jesus was raised from the dead. So... As we saw last week, the Lordship of Christ should touch every area of our lives. The Lordship of Christ should touch every area of our lives, not just spiritual things, not just reading the Bible and praying and meditating. It, 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 it touches what we eat, when we eat, how much we eat, taking care of our bodies, health, fitness, diet, exercise, how you vote, how you make love, how you raise your kids, how you mow your lawn, how you set up the flowers in the house. Everything is under the lordship of Christ. Everything should be under the lordship of Christ because he will renew and remake all things one day. Now, the importance of this passage, 12 through 20, as I said, we didn't finish. Something is wrong with that clock. And for some reason, it ran out of time last week. We're trying to get a fix. And so we didn't get all the way through that uh, last week. But the importance of this passage that we're spending three weeks on on this is this. It deals with the body. And this is one of the most important passages in all of the New Testament that, uh, that reveals and teaches those things that I just said, that our bodies are important, that our bodies are redeemed. We are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified in this body. Not just our spirits, not just some immaterial soul, but all of us. Uh, Redemption is every bit of the human being, our nefesh, our souls. So it's an important passage in that regard. It's also important because it deals with sexual immorality. As I said last week, it starts in chapter 5, Paul does, with this section of immorality, with the words. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. In chapter 5 and chapter 6 and into the beginning of chapter 7, he continues to deal with the subject of sexual immorality. Aren't you getting tired of talking about it? It would seem at this point. But Paul starts in chapter 5, verse 1. It's reported there's sexual immorality among you. He is going to end, uh, end this present discussion, we'll see next week, where he says, flee immorality Glorify God in your bodies. And that's how he is going to end it. So immorality, um, sexual immorality is, is an important topic. Um, it was an issue to the Corinthians. And so if you just look at chapter 5, chapter 6, and a good, some portion of uh, chapter 7, and other places in the book of First Corinthians where he mentions immorality and adultery, more than one-eighth of the book deals with sexual immorality. What about our culture? Does one eighth of our culture deal with sexual immorality? <laughs> Seven eighths, somebody said. Their culture was sex saturated, and so was ours. Everything is about sex, isn't it? Not? Everything is about sex. Sex sells, right? That's the old saying. Not biblical sex. They don't use a beer commercial with a husband and a wife in the confines of the covenant of marriage having a physical relationship to sell beer. No, they use immorality. They use sensuality. They use an appeal to the lust of the flesh. Everything, almost everything, it's, it's a bit hyperbolic, but it's not that much. Everything is about sex in our culture right now. And make no mistake about it. Abortion is about sex. It is. It is about the freedom, sexual freedom. That's what abortion is about. Sexual freedom to do whatever I want to do with my body. And then there are no consequences. I can avoid the consequences. And, and if a baby is involved, then I have the right to make that choice to, to, to end that, that life. And thank God for the... Um, The the ruling this week of Roe versus Wade being struck down. Amen. But you know what? I heard a lawmaker of uh, Washington State, lawmaker, say this week, uh, we're not going to try and uh, outlaw abortion in the state of Washington because we have more important things to do. And and many people think, well, this is a a victory for a state's rights. We can just choose in our own state. Let me tell you this. It should be against the law in any civil and godly society to take the life of an unborn child in every state. It should be. But abortion is about sex. Everything in our society is about sex. And so... The dealing with the body, the dealing of sexual immorality in Corinth, in their culture, in our culture, it makes sense. But it also deals, thirdly, with uh, certain aspects of the gospel. And the gospel is that by which we are saved. And for instance, next week, we're going to see that our bodies are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. The ramifications of that are enormous. If God dwells in your body... And your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, the ramifications and how we live our lives should be, should be uh, oriented toward that. It's, it's enormous. Now, we'll talk about that next week. But that is part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. We are cleansed of our sins. We are sanctified at the moment of salvation. We are justified But also, at that moment, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit and the new birth, the Holy Spirit of God takes residence in our bodies. And we are to live like that, and the Corinthians were not. So, your body matters to God. It matters a great deal. And sexual immorality is especially egregious as sins with our body. There are all sorts of sins, and we'll see next week. We're kind of preparing you for that as well. There is something unique about sexual sin that God says touches your body. We'll see that. So we began to look last week at three misunderstandings, and we saw two misunderstandings. We saw that the Corinthians had a wrong view of Christian liberty. They said, all things are lawful for me, all things are profitable, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. All things are lawful. We're set free by the gospel. It doesn't matter what we eat and it doesn't matter what we drink. Paul will once again deal with these issues in chapters 8 through 10. But we are set free from the gospel. We are set free from the law. And the Corinthians took that to mean I can do whatever I want without qualification. That is not the case. Because Paul says, you say that all things are lawful, and he says, but not everything is profitable. Just because you have freedom doesn't mean you have to do something. Because it might hurt another person, he'll get to that in chapter 10. But he also says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. There are lots of good things in the world that can master us. And Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. I may have freedom to do certain things, but I will not let them master me. For instance, gaming is fine. Men, mainly men. But if you can't put down the controller, something's wrong. If you can't put down the beer, which you may have freedom to drink, it begins to master you. If you can't put down the TV remote... If you can't, it's fine to check your, your Twitter account and your email and look what's going on. But if you can't put your phone down, something may be wrong. If you can't put the bag of chips down, something may be wrong. Some of you know that even in your own lives. I see husbands and wives looking back, back and forth with one another. Because what happens is that freedom crosses a line. That freedom that you have, and you have freedom to do all those things that I just listed. Play games, go on the internet, surf on the internet, uh, uh, check your phone, drink a beer, eat chips. You have freedom to do all those things. But if you don't have control over those things, they have control over you. That's what Paul is saying. And if they have control over you, it begins to cross into the area of sin because it causes relationships problems. The wife who says, are you going to stop gaming or not? Are you going to get off your phone? You say that to your teenager. It causes relationship problems. It dulls our spiritual senses. It takes these things can take time away from important things that we, we need to spend uh, doing with, with relationships, family, marriage, serving God. It could be sports. It could be recreation. It could be anything that is good and God wants us to enjoy, but we can't let them master us. And that's what they were saying. And Paul is saying, no, you don't, just, you don't have the freedom to do whatever you want. But they also had the wrong view of the Christian's body. They said food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Wrong. Paul said, no, the body is not for immorality, but it is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. Now, and to 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 press the point, he said, just as God raised up his son in power, so will he raise us up in our bodies. They had the wrong view of the body, that it's just a physical function. It's, you know, eating and drinking and sex, whatever. The body's going to go away. It's just a physical craving. It doesn't matter, right? Paul's saying, no, your body is not for immorality. Your body is for the Lord. Created by him, redeemed by him, will one day be raised from the dead. And they had followed the culture, their their Greek culture, which said uh, the the body, it doesn't matter, it's just temporary, but the spirit will last. So whatever you do, eat, drink, be merry, have sex, eat whatever you want to eat, drink whatever you want to drink. Love whomever you want to love, that's our world today, but it doesn't matter. And Paul said, no, your body matters to God. So what we need to understand here, Paul is saying that sexual immorality is not in the category of Christian liberty. It is in a different bucket altogether. Yes, you have Christian liberty in, you know, having a beer, uh, um, eating what you want to eat, playing video games, etc., etc., etc. Immorality, sexual immorality, that's not in the same bucket. It's a whole different category altogether. So when Paul says not all things are profitable and I will not be mastered by anything, he's not putting sex in that area of permissible things. Because what God has said we should not do is not permissible. He is removing it from the list because God has prohibited all sexual activity Apart from marriage. Again, remember the word pornea immorality means any kind of sexual, any kind of sexual activity outside of the bonds of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. Anything outside. And so he's not saying, "Well, you got freedom to do whatever you want to do. Just don't let it master you." No, he's saying, "No, in this case, the body is not for immorality. It is sin." Sex is not in the same category as Christian liberty, and we don't have the freedom to do what God has forbidden. Never, ever. I saw a tweet this morning um, by a so-called Christian leader who said, Christianity is all about choice. You need to make a choice about believing in Jesus Christ. And when you make that choice to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this means that making choices is is a Christian value, and Christians of all people should not be taking the choice of abortion away from people. First of all, you did not choose him. He chose you. You chose him because he chose you. And again, God has never given us the freedom of choice to do something that is egregious, something that He forbids taking of the human life. We don't have the freedom to do that and so the 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 Corinthians would have fit right into that i I don't know there you know abortion did take place in in the days of the of the Greeks and the Romans, and it was is a horrible thing the, the, they found places where they have disposed bodies of infants and found those skeletons. So their culture is like our culture, and we shouldn't look back on them and say, wow, they really were bad. <laughs> now, we should be apologizing, perhaps, to them. So sex is not in the same category, and we're going to see that sex is wonderful. It is designed for... For marriage, and in chapter seven, we're going to we're going to see that that even in marriage there are some limitations. Not everything goes in sex and marriage. We'll get to that in due time. But in the meantime, Paul is going to give further reasons for why immorality, sex outside of marriage, is so egregious to God. So the next thing we see is this: they had a wrong view of the gospel, they had a wrong view of conversion. They had a wrong view of what happens to them when they believe in Jesus Christ. The gospel by which we are saved unites us to Christ Jesus. We are washed. We are sanctified. We are justified. We are redeemed forever from that very moment. And all of us, and I mean all of us, are redeemed and our life belongs to him. Mind, body, and soul, however you want to cut it up. They're all together in God's eyes. Our bodies are therefore sacred to God. He said, we are sanctified. We are set apart. Your body is sacred to God. And sexual immorality profanes what the gospel joins together in Christ. It profanes it. It defiles it. It corrupts it. It makes it seem dirty. But it is not. God has designed sex as a good thing for marriage For the one flesh concept of marriage to proclaim the gospel itself. And they misunderstood the gospel. They didn't understand. The very nature of the gospel and salvation. Makes any kind of immorality unthinkable. Unthinkable. And we see four reasons why. Number one. Immorality profanes Christ. Immorality profanes Christ himself. It defiles him, in a sense. To profane something means to make it unholy, to make it corrupt, and to make it seem dirty. Sex is not dirty. We, we are charged with uh, the world by having a Puritan attitude about sex and that we think of it as dirty. That, that, is, a, that is a caricature of what Christians believe. What the Bible teaches is God created sex as a wonderful thing for marriage and it is pure and it is holy. But when it is outside of marriage, it profanes Christ himself. Look at verses 15 and 17 with me on the screen. uh, And and notice how I put these two verses together because he says something in verse 16. Verses 15 and 17 Do you not know? This is the fourth of the the six times in this chapter that Paul uses the, the, the question. Do you not know? They should know, but they're not living as if they know this truth. Do you not know the gospel? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. In verse 17, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You see verse 15 and verse 17. Do you not know your bodies are members of Christ? And the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. I want you to notice what Paul says in verse 15. He says your bodies are members of Christ. This is the only place that I'm aware of in the New Testament where this is put this way. Because we will see in chapter 12, verse 27, and all through chapters 12 through 16, he says in 1227, "You are Christ's body and individually members of it." Romans 12:5. Five, five. So we who are many are one body in Christ, and we are individually members of one another, one body in Christ." Ephesians 5:29 For no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as Christ also does the church because we are members of his body. Do you see the difference? We are members of his body. We are members of his body. We are members of his body. But in chapter 6 verse 15 Paul says our bodies are members of him. He flips it around. He's emphasizing the physicality of living in a redeemed body being united to Christ in spirit. Yes. In verse 17, but our bodies have a relationship to Christ. It's not immaterial, if you will. Our bodies belong to Christ. They are redeemed. And so here it is reversed. It is not members of his bodies, but our bodies are members of Christ. We often think of the, the spiritual, mystical, universal body of Christ. This thing out there you can't see. That we're all related together. But Paul is saying here, no, th- this you can see. Every Christian whose body belongs to Christ by redemption, we see that our bodies belong to Christ himself. And so he's emphasizing that the union that we have with Christ of the gospel, having been cleansed, having been sanctified, having been justified, is unique. It is sacred. It is holy. And it is in our very bodies that it exists. So when he says the question, it just blows our mind as well. Shall I then take the members of Christ? Your bodies are members of Christ, he says. Shall I take a member of Christ and make it a member of a prostitute? He says, may it never be. May it never be. The the King James Version, Paul uses this uh, numerous times in his writings to express incredulity. And the King James translates it, God forbid. captures the thought. It really does. Even though the word God is not in there, it captures the thought. Shall I make my body members with a prostitute? God forbid. How can that be? Because my body is a member of Christ. It shouldn't be that way. And in the strongest way possible, he says, no, it may never, it should never be that way. Now, the particular issue that he's dealing here with is prostitutes. And some guys might be going, well, I haven't gone to prostitutes, so I guess I'm scot-free. No. Remember how he began. It's actually reported that immorality exists among you. Then he listed a specific kind, which was incest. He just said immorality, pornea, any kind of sex is wrong. It's out. It's not for the body. He's going to say, we'll see you next week, verse 18 flee immorality. He's just saying these are some specific instances, and one of which was going to prostitutes. Part of their culture. Guys, you got needs, you go to the prostitute. It was just part of their culture. They saw nothing wrong with going to prostitutes. In some ways, it was part of uh, uh, their old religious worship as well. And that, that in itself is um, uh, hard to even imagine. And so again, we look at their culture and say, well, man, they thought it was okay for a Christian man to go to a prostitute. What do some Christians believe today? In our culture, casual sex is okay as long as it's safe sex. Sex outside of marriage is okay as long as you really love each other. In our culture, sex outside of marriage is okay. And it is being normalized, every kind of sex, because everything is about sex. And Paul is saying, may it never be. Prostitute, the woman down the street, the guy that you work with, whoever it may be, may it never be. God forbid. Because your body, by the gospel of Jesus Christ, belongs to him. And you are one spirit with him. It is unthinkable that we would involve Christ in our immorality. Think about that. Because when we are involved in immorality, we are involving him. Because our bodies belong to him and we are united with him in spirit. Men think about that. Women think about that. By the way, um, yes, I know there's a double standard when it comes to uh, men and women and sexuality. Sexual immorality is an equal opportunity offender against God. Men and women. But when we see God's pure and good design for sex, we see that everything else is a cheap imitation. Everything is cheap. It is unthinkable. May it never be. Because our bodies belong to God. When you have sex with another person, even in marriage, which it should be, the Holy Spirit does not step out of the room and say, oh, I can't see this. The Lordship of Christ touches every area of your life, even that, in a good way, because we want the best that God has for us to involve God in every aspect of our lives. So immorality profanes and it defiles Christ. Immorality, number two, profanes your own body. He says in verse 16, Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? He said your bodies are joined to Christ. Shall you join your body to a prostitute? And May it never be. Why is that so wrong? Because when you join your body to a prostitute, you become one body with or your bodies are intertwined by the way this is the fifth time that paul uses the question do you not know the sixth one we'll see next week and we're going to say more about the body next week that that sexual immorality is a specific kind of sin against our bodies because we are the temple of the holy spirit and there are consequences Proverbs six twenty six, talking about uh, the father telling his son and warning him about immorality. And fathers, you should do that with your sons. Proverbs says, for on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread and an adulterous hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes and not be burned? Can you do that? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. When we sin against our body, we're sinning against his body. And there are consequences. There is forgiveness. And we'll land there this morning, but there are consequences. Third, immorality profanes sex. Immorality defines sex. Well, some people might be saying, well, isn't sex already profane? Isn't sex a profane thing? No, it is not. Sex is the good thing that God created. Do you not know that one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. And that picture of marriage is a picture of the sexual relationship, which is a picture of oneness in marriage extended to every area of the, of, of the covenant of marriage, one spiritually, physically in sex, monetarily, socially, emotionally, every way. But the purpose of the sexual relationship In the covenant of marriage was to demonstrate the oneness of a man and a woman in holy matrimony. There is more to sex than bodily function. Two people are united in sex which is designed for marriage. It is a beautiful and wholesome and healthy and and wonderful thing. But everything else cheapens the original. Everything else degrades And diminishes the original. Because with everything else we settle for less. It becomes a filthy imitation to the good thing that God designed for marriage. It is not clean. But sex is clean. In the covenant of marriage. We want... Young people who are thinking about getting married one day to look forward to that, to come to bring their bodies and child into a marriage relationship to experience the best that God has for you. And so that's why Paul writes these things. Don't you know? Don't you know these things? The fourth that he addresses here is that immorality profanes marriage. It profanes Christ himself. It profanes our bodies. It profanes sex as designed by marriage. It profanes marriage. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For, he says, the two shall become one flesh. Paul can't be saying here that when someone has an immoral physical relationship, they become one flesh with them after the manner of marriage. He's not saying that if you have sex with a prostitute, all of a sudden you're married to her. To her. He's not saying that. Notice the, different, the choice in words. He says, you are one body with her. He's focusing on the physical part of it. And then he quotes from Genesis For he says, the scriptures say, the two shall become one flesh, which is the genuine article. Joining your bodies together with a prostitute, it's that vulgar vulgar parody of what is real. Sex in the relationship of marriage. And immorality destroys that and defiles it. He can't be saying that we become that no, he's saying that though the one flesh nature of marriage is so wonderful and so pure and undefiled and so wonderful reserved for marriage only, that joining yourself to another person outside of that is despoiling and defacing and profaning of all that is god that God has made to be good. We don't want that. Ephesians five, thirty one and thirty-two. Says this: For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Joining, uh, uh, he's quoting Genesis right there. God brought Adam, uh, Eve to Adam, having fashioned him out of the, the rib of the man, and he brings her to Adam, and Adam says, "This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man." And then Moses says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Marriage its wonderful. It's beautiful. Two people being joined together in this wonderful way. But in Ephesians, Paul says this. This mystery is great. But I'm speaking with reference to Christ in the church. The literal, physical, sexual relationship of marriage of two people becoming one flesh is a godly and holy picture of Christ and his bride. Christ and his bride, husbands and your bride. God brings us together in a holy and good and wonderful way. And when we go outside of that plan, like any sin, it despoils it and defiles it and profanes it. Sexual immorality is about the worst way that we can profane our redeemed, sanctified, washed, and justified bodies because it is a picture of the gospel. And again, it becomes this wicked parody. In marriage, the two become one flesh, and Paul is stunned that they would not understand that. And we don't understand it in our culture. And it's time for the church to recapture the beauty of sex, the wonder of sex, the goodness of sex in marriage as God has designed it. Look, I know that every day you are bombarded with this stuff. You're bombarded with sexual license. You are bombarded with the Sexual innuendo and things that are not such innuendos. You are bombarded with images and temptations. Every single day, every one of us are tempted in this area. Every one of us. If not just in thought, but also in deed as well. Hold fast your faith in your union with Christ because your body is a member of him. Be faithful to him. Be faithful to him just as we are to be faithful in marriage because everything else is a counterfeit of the original. We must continually look and hold up the original of marriage and the original of the sexual relationship in marriage as a, as a wonderful, holy thing. And rec- that, then when we see all this stuff in the world, we recognize, nah, that's a counterfeit. Tinsel. All the glitters is not gold. Gold. And we don't need it. You don't need it to be fulfilled. Now, our conclusion this morning is this. Immorality profanes Christ's bride. We just saw that in Ephesians 5. It profanes marriage. Yes, it profanes sex. It profanes your body. And it profanes Christ himself. But Christ's body. We are members of one another. It is wrong. Immorality is wrong for all people because it is it is uh, it is God's natural law and ten commandments apply to every person who ever lived. But it is doubly wrong for us. Because our bodies are redeemed. So let's talk about. Commitment and accountability to one another. I'm accountable to you to stay pure in this area. And you are accountable to the people on that side. And the people in the middle are accountable accountable to those in the back and vice versa. In the body of Christ, we have accountability. Because it's not, I can do what I want to do with my body. No, it's not that. I belong to you. You belong to me. We belong to one another in Christ Jesus. And so when we come to the Lord's table, we are declaring that. Take out the bread and the cup because this is a declaration that we are the body of Christ. This is a declaration that we belong to one another by virtue of the washing of regeneration, the sanctification, the justification that we have in Christ. Os Guinness said this, the problem in Corinth was That there was intimacy without intention and communion without commitment. Our communion in marriage has to have a commitment and our commitment to marriage results in fidelity in marriage and with the body of Christ. So here is the good thing. Here is the good news. The gospel is always the good news. We've held up and, and demonstrated with Paul's words because he's very graphic and he's very uh, he's very uh, concerned with the church at Corinth, not only for immorality but he, he but all the other sins that he lists: being angry, being abusive, idolatry. Ladies and gentlemen in this room, all you know, there are people in this room that are that are are guilty of. Drunkenness, anger, abuse, immorality, idolatry, abortion. All forgiven at the cross. All forgiven at the cross. We can smile at this this morning. We can celebrate with thanksgiving. If you're bombarded, if you are struggling in this area, many of you are struggling in this area. There is hope in Christ. And the hope is the gospel. If you have fallen in this area, of immorality, of abortion, with drunkenness, whatever it may be. There is forgiveness and cleansing. And he will remember your sins no more. And we come to him as the body of Christ. To be pure and to be holy. Because he is washing his church with, with his word to present us as a sanctified bride one day at his coming. And that's what we want to be. And so I urge you to purity in this area. We celebrate our freedom and we celebrate our forgiveness from all of those sins. Amen. This is a celebration. This is Thanksgiving. So I want you to take a moment and remember the words of Christ. This is my body, which is given for you. He really lived in a human body. For your body. This is my blood which I shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. To wash away all of your sins, no matter what it is, there isn't anything on the list that he cannot deal with. And when you come to Christ in faith and you rely upon him and you repent of your sin, it is gone. It is gone. And that is the good news of the gospel. And then we are empowered by his Holy Spirit to live for him. That's what we have. And that's what we celebrate. So, take a moment, talk to God. I would bet there are people that need to say some things to God this morning. I'm sorry, I have fallen in this area. Take a moment to do that. Father, we hold up before us as the great example, our Savior Jesus Christ, who lived and did not sin in any way. In all of these things we have failed, and yet he was faithful. And so our hope is in him alone who died for us. And, Lord God, we can declare that all those in this room who have confessed Christ as Savior who even continue to struggle with sin, we can give by virtue of the death and resurrection of Christ an assurance of pardon that we are cleansed. And so it is with thanksgiving that we take of this bread and this cup and declare that we are one body with Christ. We are his bride. And may you make us holy to the coming of Christ. We thank you for your forgiveness. In the name of Christ our Savior we pray. Amen. And he said, do this in remembrance of me.